Good morning, Abundant Life. So good to have you join us today, and we're glad that you have tuned in. Wasn't that a powerful time of communion together? I hope that you enjoyed it with your family, your friends that are around you. And listen, I cannot wait till we can be together in person again. You know, as the body of Christ, we are meant to be connected. And I know during this time, as uh, time goes on in the social distancing, it gets tiring. And uh, so many have uh, anxious thoughts and anxious feelings, and mentally it takes a toll. But listen, I want to pray for you today as we begin this time together. Before I get and dive into the message today, I want to pray over you. I want to pray over your home and bless you, and that God's presence would be so very real to you today. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for your living presence that is with us. And God, we thank you today that you would just calm our anxious thoughts and our anxious feelings. Lord God, I thank you that your hand would be upon us. Whatever room that our people are in today with their families, whether they're in their bedroom, Lord, their living room together, their family room, or that person that is at work, that, God, you would touch them with a supernatural peace and overwhelm them with your presence and your love and your goodness and your strength today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, Kristen and I were driving through a city not too far from here, and we were looking at graffiti on the walls of a city. I'm sure many of you have seen graffiti on the walls. It could be on an overpass. It could be on the side of a train or whatever it may be. Imagine this, that somebody had to break the law to do graffiti on the side of a train that said, Jesus saves or Jesus loves you, just to tell the whole world that God really does love you. It's kind of crazy. But you know, cities have wall art that they use the creativity of somebody and they paint this amazing graffiti on the side of the walls that dresses it up and beautifies the city. It's crazy because today I want to talk to you today about some graffiti that Jesus did in the New Testament. But you know, we see three instances throughout the Bible. We see God's hand of graffiti that takes place. The first one is, is Exodus chapter 31. God gave Moses two tablets of stone. It's God's testimony written with the finger of God, it says. And it was graffiti that had to do with the law in the Old Testament. Then you come to Daniel chapter 5. We read of a pagan king who has, and he's having a banquet. We see there, and he's mocking the God of Israel. And it says immediately, it looked to be the finger of a human hand that wrote, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. That's pretty crazy. The Bible says that the pagan king's knees knocked together and they absolutely gave out. Can you imagine that? He, they gave out because it was a message of the judgment of God. Then we come to John chapter 8 where we are at today in the Gospel of John and this is a story of Jesus riding in the dirt. The message of John chapter 8 is a message of grace. Can you say the word grace with me? Grace. God's grace shows up inside of this passage. Now, the last verse of chapter 7 says, They went each, 
the disciples to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say, Jesus? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And it says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What a powerful portion of Scripture. What was happening in this passage? Well, everyone had just left the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles. It's the same feast, and they returned to their own houses. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and you have the temple on Mount Moriah, and right across the small valley is the Mount of Olives, where the Garden of Gethsemane is. And we have Jesus coming again to the temple. He's teaching, and the crowds are beginning to gather around him. And as he's teaching the scribes and the Pharisees, we know from Scripture that the scribes copied down the Scriptures. And they were creating scrolls. They also were known as the religious interpreters of the law. And a rabbi in that day would never come to the temple unprepared, but they would come and undo the scroll and read from the scroll what the law had said. And then you see this, Jesus comes upon the scene, and he comes and says this, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you've probably heard that many times as Jesus said that in the New Testament. You've heard it said this way, but I say to you, and he is a man that is teaching with absolute authority from his Father in heaven. He doesn't say what all the other rabbis are saying, and the scribes do not like it. They hate him because of his teaching. It often contradicts the interpretation of the law that they are giving. They hate him also because he's doing miracles. And they are joined in their animosity by the Pharisees who are the moralists. They are the legalists of the day. They felt righteous based on the things that they did. And uh, they say, you have to approach God by doing this, 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 and this. And the checkoff list and the legalism that he, they thought determined righteousness. They hated Jesus. And they come to Jesus again, and they are ready to trap him. And in verse 3 and 4, they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in their midst, it says, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine 
the drama at this moment. Jesus is sitting there teaching, and you understand the temple is completely packed. It is the feast that is taking place. It is very busy, lots of people. And in the middle of the sermon, there's a group of self-righteous legalists that show up. I mean, can you imagine why I'm speaking that there's a group that, uh, that come forward and, and bring a woman forward and say, hey, this woman has been caught in adultery. You could maybe kind of imagine here's a woman whose hair is a mess and maybe she is barely clothed, ashamed because now everybody knows what she did. And they're saying this in front of everyone and you understand she is totally humiliated. And they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery and in the law of Moses. It says that we should stone such a woman. So what do you prescribe? And you got to understand that Jesus is caught between a rock and a hard place at this point. You understand, on the one hand, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and he knows what the law says from what Moses said, that we're to stone her. Many would say, well, no, it's the Supreme Court, Court's job of the day. That, that's the Sanhedrin's decision. And, uh, but they might not even, and they say don't even prosecute her or, you know, if He's not going to prosecute her. Then they're saying, well, he's a liar. He doesn't even uphold what's been passed down to him. And, you know, he's not even listening to Moses and what he has to say. And the crowd of people are watching this. And is he going to go against Rome and promote Judaism? Or is he going to ignore Judaism altogether? The woman standing there is a pawn in their game. The big question in is, is where's the man? I mean, you understand, typically it takes two for adultery, right? Absolutely. The man is not there, so this is a trap that is laid out. What do you say, Jesus? What should we do? And Scripture tells us in this passage that it says that Jesus knelt down and he wrote in the dirt. He doodled something that we're not sure. Some say that he was just doodling something, who knows what it is that he wrote there in front of this woman and in front of the Pharisees that were there that day. You know, in the church throughout the years, I found many leftover pieces of paper where people were doodling me during the service. Like, you know, they made me look like I had handlebar, you know, mustache. And uh, they had me without a mustache and crazy hair and all that. It was pretty, it's quite humorous what I found throughout the years. One, they made me look really big. Another one made me look really muscular, which I am not. And then another one where somebody left that they made me really skinny and said, pastor needs a sandwich. Kind of humorous, that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe you're doodling today. I'm not sure uh, what you're doing. But we know this, that Jesus wrote something in the sand. We just don't know exactly what it is because Scripture doesn't say what it is, but John uses the word grapho, which means to write, and he puts a preposition in there before the word grapho, which is kato, kato grapho. It's used in one other place in the Old Testament in Job 13, 26, where it says, for you write bitter things against me. It has to do with writing things against another person. We see that in the instance in Job, and then it's carried through into this passage in John chapter 8. And we understand that he wrote something there in front of them. We're not sure. Was it their sins against them? We don't know. And uh, it could have been, hey, if you're without sin, then you cast the first stone. But 
Maybe he is writing down something that they did. We're not exactly sure. But the one who knows the condition of the human heart perceives our every thought and our every imagination is writing something in the sand in front of them. And when they heard that, the Bible says that they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones first. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him as each accuser is made known of their sinfulness. It's the reminder for all of us on the Sermon on the, on, on the Mount where we see that it says, before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye, remove the log from your own eye. Now, it doesn't mean that there is no place or dealing with people about their sinfulness. That is not saying this. But there's a lot to say about our attitude and the way we go about and talking to people when we know that they are in sin. And as they leave one by one, it's just two people left. They couldn't be more different, that's for sure. He is righteous and she is unrighteous. What's amazing is the only one that had grounds for condemning her didn't do it. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. From now on, sin no more. You know, it's amazing as we look at even on our own own lives that you know people that are just full of grace, right? I mean, we love grace people. They just grace, 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 right? They have grace for everything, grace for this. But sometimes what can happen in that is that there can be a diminishment of God's word to not make it as important as it should be. But then on the other hand, you have people that are people of truth, right? You know people of truth, like you can't handle the truth, right? They're just up in your face. You can't handle it. But it's amazing Because the word of God says in John chapter 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth together. That both of those are needed when we're dealing with one another. He does not condemn her, but at the same time, he calls her to a life of obedience and a life of holiness. We know this, that forgiveness is never free. Because it always costs the one who is doing the forgiving. And he has forgiven her, and he will pay for that sin in approximately six months when he goes to the cross of Calvary and is crucified for our sins. Sin has a way of entangling us. It ensnares us, and it makes us feel trapped. I want to give you two things today if you are ensnared in sin. And maybe if you're not ensnared in sin, there is for surely somebody else in your life that is. So I just encourage you, would you just kind of lean in for the next few moments as I talk about these two areas. The first one is this. If you're caught in a sin, God does not condemn you ever. That's good news, that's for sure. It's very good news. It's very important to understand this, that you may be listening today and are afraid to go to God because you're afraid that God will condemn you or maybe some other sin that you've done in your life or in the past or then I mean, you've asked Jesus to forgive you, but now 
you have this sense that when bad things happen, it's God getting even with you. It's amazing. There's, this is in many people. That it's God's way of getting even with me because of something I did in the past. You might think today that God's paying you back for your sinfulness. Or you say, man, I, I'm sick in my body, so this is God's way of getting back to me. Or, or I have a disease. Or I'm going through a very difficult season. I've been in this for so long. Or, or we're in this pandemic because God is against me and God is against the human race. And I'm going to tell you something. That is so far from the truth of God's word today that I want you to understand that, that God does not condemn humanity. Can I tell you today that God is not the one who condemns? You understand this, that not at this point, and not at, you see this in this point of the scripture and the point of where we are at today, but we are told that in the years to come, the future, that whenever Jesus Christ returned, that we see that there will be an eternal judgment for what every person did with Jesus or what they didn't do with Jesus, whether they accepted him as Lord and Savior. That's what the Word says. And that the ones that chose and choose to rebel against God will be condemned to an eternity without God. So this is serious. But that the one who could have condemned her did not, and he does not condemn you today. That's great news. It's very interesting, the most famous verse of John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we know that, and we can say that, and we, can, we, we know it well. But, but many people forget the verse that is right after John 3, 16, is 3, 17, that the verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Man, that is powerful. He doesn't condemn us. That Jesus doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to redeem us. That's shouting news. That's for sure. He comes to reach out. He comes to save. He doesn't come to condemn any person. He comes to reach out. He doesn't wait to get even with you. You may think that he's waiting to get even. That is not true. That is not the Jesus in the New Testament. That's not Jesus that I know for sure. That he comes to this woman And he says, neither do I condemn you, so go and sin no more in verse 11. But let me tell you something. Before you and I can go and sin no more, we must receive the words that Jesus said, I do not condemn you. And understand that he is not against you. There's also a second thing I want you to notice, and that is if you're caught in a sin, or if somebody you know is caught in sin, You cannot be freed on your own. This is the lie of the enemy. Not only is there pride to make people think that they can handle it and I can get out of it. How many of us in our own lives can say this? Yeah, because we're sinners and we're only saved by God's grace. Maybe we were caught in a sin and we thought we could get out of it on our own. But that is a lie from the enemy. We cannot get out of it on our own. And we can't. So, you may be able to stop like the person can stop whatever they're doing for maybe a day, for maybe a week, for maybe a season, but you and I cannot free ourselves on our own. But in order to free ourselves, it requires three things to happen. First of all, it's going to require confession. Confession to God and confession to others who have been hurt knowingly or unknowingly by, by your activity 
Listen, if your heart has been impacted by God as you went to him for forgiveness at all, then you will sense a need to make that right with others and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Listen, also, the true, this is also true. If you don't want to make it right with others, then you have to ask if your life was really touched by God's grace in the first place. To get rid of the darkness, you need to turn on the light. That will break the power of sin. And we're going to see in the weeks to come that Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world. In a few weeks, we're going to see in John's gospel, if the sun sets you free, you are free. What? Indeed. He is the one that frees us indeed. So first of all, requires confession to God, confession to others. Second, you will need to seek the counsel of a godly person. That could be somebody that's in your life, maybe that's older and is more mature in the word of the Lord and is more grounded and, and that you know that has your best interest and that loves you. Maybe, that, maybe that's a pastor. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a counselor that you could go to and so that you can go to them and, and work through the issues because to help deal with issues, there are sometimes faulty mindsets and thought processes, behaviors that have been cultivated and learned, whatever. Finally, you need and I need community. We need community. As I said from the beginning, you and I are called to be a part of the body of Christ, and we cannot make it without each other. It's the community of the saints. And I just want to remind you today that sinners saved by God's grace, we're a saint. I hope you can turn to somebody that's around you today and say, in Christ, you're a saint. In Christ, I'm a saint today. That's how Jesus looks at us. That's what the Bible says. Sanctification is not a self-help process. It never has been and never will be. We don't become more like Jesus by being alone. Many people think that they can. That's why this isolation is driving so many people crazy in their minds because we weren't meant to be alone. Is there a place for solitude? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We need that. But there's also a place for godly relationships that strengthen us, that encourage us, that help sharpen us. And we need that in our life. You and I need other people in our life and in our world. But what God offers us is life-giving change through believers walking with you and me. That's why we walk in relationship at Abundant Life Church. That's why we are in relationship and we believe in connectedness. It's doing life with people who are headed in the same direction you were headed. The promise when we do this is more and better life. We read that and we're going to get to that in John 10.10 that we understand that he's promised us an abundant life. Better than you and I could ever dreamed of. And so this woman who's bought, brought to Christ in, in the most embarrassing way, dragged before all of these people. She was brought to the one who could only change her forever, and that was Jesus. And he is the one that can set you free and will never condemn you. See, true Christianity is about what you and I do with our restless souls, the restlessness that is happening inside of us and wanting to be more like Christ. This is an appeal to everyone today. I hope you get this. This is appeal to you, sir and ma'am, 
every child, to every young person that's listened to me, to every person that's a believer in Christ and is not a believer in Christ today, this is appeal as we bring this to conclusion, that we would not become critical and condescending like the other players that John describes as the Pharisees. As a church, may we be open to the broken, recognizing that when people are walking through this, they don't need isolation. They don't need amputation. They need restoration. And that's the promise of Jesus Christ, that we are not cut off, but that we are restored through Jesus Christ. Today, I want to invite you out of shame, out of guilt, of living in sin, and that you would find real freedom, and you would find forgiveness, and you would find God's grace in the midst of the truth of God's word today. Would you do that? Would you join me in prayer today? Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that speaks so much to my heart, Lord. Lord, that I know that I'm a sinner saved by your grace. Even as I pray today, many people are hearing this. And that God, today, that you've come to deal with the issue of sin in humanity's heart and life. That's why you've come to this earth, to deal with the issue of sin that was killing us. Lord God, that you were crucified for our sins. And you took the shame and you took the guilt upon your back, your side, Lord, as you bled and you died for us. And that, God, you are calling us into a life of obedience today and leaving behind the disobedience and walking closer to you. And that, God, even as I spoke about a moment ago, that we would take this moment and we would confess our sins. And maybe we need to apologize to somebody around us that we have hurt today. That, God, we would seek counsel. Lord, that we need each other, that we need community. And Lord, we need to be encouraged in these days that we are here for each other. But Lord, I thank you for that and I thank you for your living presence of a more and a better life in you. And so Lord, I give you the praise and I give you the thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Listen, I want to encourage you as we end today that when the enemy wants to bring shame on you, that you would be reminded Jesus came to take the shame off of you. In Jesus' name, amen.